Podicumans. Hope you're doing well. Brett Maddox here once again with the Podicesis podcast, a podcast about what Christians believe and why it matters. And as always, we are joined by your very best friends, Alan Kaysen and Jim Morrow. Jim and Alan, how are you guys doing? Awesome. Great to be with you today. I'm doing fantastic. That's mm. Awesome. That's awesome. Sounded like you had a little bit of hesitancy there. Like you had to think about it for a minute, Alan. I was thinking of what word I was going to use and I just went with fantastic. Well, that could, that is a very fantastic. Can something be very fantastic? I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. Yes. So we're starting off very strong here. So anyway, we're so <laughs> glad that y'all are with us and so glad that you've joined us and are so grateful for our community that we have in the Podakesis land. Um, we uh, just had such a great episode last episode when we started this series on Jesus. You know, for a long time, we've been dealing with the, the, the theme of sin and just for weeks and weeks on end. So it's good to finally be talking about redemption and talking about Jesus, the Son of God, and we're carrying on with that even today. Do want to remind you to hit us up on social media at Podakesis. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. You can also send your questions to us at questions at podakesis.com. And you can leave a voicemail with us at 404-635-6679. Also want to remind you all about our Daily Psalms podcast, a a devotional psalm by the Podakesis podcast um, using the psalms each day. And so we're excited about that. And um, hey, guys, y'all read Firebrand Magazine, right? Firebrand Magazine? Why, yes. I was reading it just this afternoon. Well, there you go. Alan? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Firebrand <laughs> Magazine is a fantastic, uh, fantastic uh, outlet for wonderful, thoughtful, intelligent Wesleyan conversation, discourse. Yeah. Uh, put out by some great folks. We've had uh, at least one, mm-hmm. uh, two of the writer, two people who contributed on our podcast in uh, Dr. David Watson and Dr. Justice Hunter. Um, right. They're fantastic contributors to the wider church. If you haven't checked them out yet, where can you find them? Firebrandmag.org. Org, firebrandmag.org. And uh, we, we mentioned that because the Podakesis podcast is a proud supporter of Firebrand Magazine. So we would love for y'all to go and check them out. Today, we're hitting up question 22 in John Wesley's revision of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. How did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? How did Christ being the Son of God, become man, is the question we're dealing with. And I think... I'll give you a hint. Hold on. It does if, not involve a stork. Oh, okay. So there's no... Okay. So, so if it doesn't involve a stork... Alan, I got nothing you? after that. Um, I, I wish we had... We should have really prepared to have an answer for this question before we got well, on air. I don't know why you didn't. I certainly did. Well, oh. we, I knew you. I knew it would be you, Alan. Oh, I think Jim fails well, us all the time. Thank you, Alan, for I picking up the pieces. I understand, Jim. You probably did not prepare because you knew that I always come with it. So here we go. <laughs> uh, how did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul, being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her, yet without sin. So much in that small answer. So much. There's not much there. I mean, (laughs) mean, we might as well just end the podcast I mean, that's it. I I think think Alan just disappeared from his chair. He's just off screen now. (laughs) He got struck by some kind of divine lightning. Yeah, we didn't know what was happening there. Um, I mean, 
So, um, like we, uh, as we always do, like we like to do, we're going to start off with the scripture proofs that are in the catechism itself. And as always, these are verses that come with a context uh, around it. So, uh, as we read to you the verses, maybe we'll read a little bit of the context with it too. But if you would like to know more detail, we'll post these scriptures in the um, in the show notes. And show notes. There it show is. Notes in the show notes, and you can go and look at the wider context of these scriptures. And so we're going to start off with Hebrews, and a lot of our scripture proofs come out of Hebrews today, and I'm going to turn it over to the man of the hour, Jim Morrow. That would be me. Yeah, so we're going to start with Hebrews chapter 2. I'll actually be reading verses 14 through 16 as our first scripture proof for the day. And it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he may break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Mm. So So he makes a strong connection there. So it's it's like it kind of gives us a purpose of Jesus, uh, the Son of God, becoming flesh. He says, that because the children, and that would refer uh, first to the children of Abraham being the people of Israel, but ultimately all of the children, the humans of the world, he took on what they had. He shared in their humanity, their flesh and blood for a purpose. And the purpose is through his death, he can break the power of death. And and the, the big part of this scripture, for me anyway, at least the reason why the catechism is taken this verse out here is this um, sharing in the flesh and blood, right? Right. It's it's the incarnation uh, piece to this that we're dealing with. Right. Sharing in humanity. Right. And it's neat to show um, that part of, that's what we call the incarnation, the uh, with meat, so to speak, becoming flesh. Um, With that comes the, the purpose or the greater ability or through that comes the power to break the power of death. It's not simply so that we could see somebody who walks like us and talks like us, though that is a part of it. But there's a greater cosmic, a greater um, divine work at play, even in that. Right. So one time in uh, in a confirmation class. One time um, at band I, camp. At band camp. Uh, one time in confirmation class, I was talking about the incarnation, and I was asking the question of... Um, who knew what incarnation meant? And I was kind of breaking the word apart, incarnation, all this. And a kid raised his hand and he said, um, ooh, carnitas. I love carnitas. And I was like, oh, well, you know, you're on the right path here. You're yeah. on the right. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, since then, I've used that as kind of a teaching tool. How many of y'all like carnitas and and talk about that? Because it's Latin-based, incarnation's Latin-based. So um, uh, in the flesh. That's what we're dealing with. Dios con carne. There you go. Absolutely. Uh, So, uh, all right. And then there's the Hebrews 10 passage. Yeah, let me pick that up too. I'm going to, the scripture proof lists Hebrews 10, 5. Um, I'm going to pick up 5 through 7. And what you're going to, if you're looking at your scriptures here, when you do later on, you're going to notice that portions of uh, 5 through 7 are going to be indented and in a poetic setting in your printed Bible. That is a quotation that is from the Septuagint version of Psalm 40. That would be the uh, early Greek 
translation of the Hebrew Psalm 40. So it is a little bit different than what you'll find if you went to look up Psalm 40 in your English Bible, simply because uh, it comes from the Greek in the first century or earlier. So here's what Hebrews 10, 5 through 7 says. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, quote, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. And so Hebrews picks up on this wording of Psalm 40, which was um, wide and far at the time. And the idea is a body you prepared for me, Mm -hmm. uh, for the sacrifice, a body you prepared for me. Right. Um, Again, this um, idea of incarnation, preparation, um, absolutely. And the thing about Hebrews is that Hebrews will set up Jesus as um, uh, a fulfillment, if you will, of the Old Testament law, the Old Testament prophets. Um, Jesus becomes, uh, to to really understand Hebrews, you've got to read the um, Old Testament allusions that are going on um, all throughout the whole text there. And um, that's definitely what we are uh, dealing with here, especially when you get down to the issues about him being the high priest and all of Mm. this, all of this as well. So, um, all right, we're going to go into the Gospels for a little bit, Matthew and Luke. And so I'm going to turn it over to the man from Metter, Alan Kaysen. All right, so Matthew 26, 38, and this is uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And um, he is um, he has gone there to pray. Um, he is in great anguish over knowing that his arrest and betrayal and uh, trial and crucifixion are all um, awaiting him. And um, he, um, he says to the disciples, uh, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Mm. And, um, I think this scripture is referring to the the part of the the answer that talks about a reasonable soul. Um, but also, I, I saw I, I see throughout the Garden of Gethsemane, um, Christ, uh, humanity, and his um, agony mm-hmm. over over what's about to take place, right. um, and. Uh, um, his prayer to, to, to the father, you know, to let this cup pass for me, but not my will, but your will. Um, and so there's a, there's a lot there in the garden of Gethsemane. Uh, and so, so the, the idea that perhaps some of us have that Jesus just went very, uh, I don't want to say willingly, because I do think there was some obedience to him going to the cross. Absolutely. But that he went, you know, kind of skipping along like, yeah, I'm going to save the world. Here we go. Yeah. Are you excited about everything you have to do? No, it's exactly. (laughs) Are you excited about everything you choose to do? Uh, Not necessarily. Right. Right. And we do know that Jesus, um, uh, that Jesus was, we'll see himself tempted as we are tempted. And some of what's going on in the garden here is perhaps a last temptation, if you will, to turn his back on the mission at hand. And you can see this kind of really deep, deep anguish. Uh, the language that is used there, that uh, sweat drops of blood, 
Uh, it's just this sense of deep, deep anguish uh, that is there in Matthew. Lots of lots of uh, telling about his humanity and some of the things that he was going yeah. through. And there. this is one of those places where where Jesus speaks of his soul. Mm-hmm. And so especially, um, and we might not think of that very often, uh, of the soul of Jesus. Right. And especially early on as people were trying to make sense of who Jesus was in his divinity and his humanity, there was a lot of speculation going back and forth. Well, maybe... Maybe his body is human, but his spirit is just God. Maybe um, he has a divided soul where his body is human and his higher soul is divine and his lower soul is what we would call an animal soul or uh, a lower soul. And so there's a lot of that conversation going around. And so in the catechism, when it mentions a reasonable soul, it doesn't mean like, eh, that's reasonable. You could do that. Yeah, it's the cross, talking, that's reasonable. Eh, Let's reasonable. Go. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, it's, <laughs> it's talking about like a rational soul. Eh? Uh, it's using philosophical language from back in those periods. Um, so it means a basically it's affirming a a human soul as well as a human body. The catechism points here to refer to the fact that Jesus speaks of his own namas or his own soul, his right. own rational mind. I don't know why, but it makes me laugh to think of Jesus stepping out of heaven and God the Father saying to God the Son, all right, you're going to have to go to the cross. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it's reasonable. All right, reasonable. It's reasonable. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, I wouldn't think any less. Let's go. Anyway. Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Off the rails. Off the rails we are. <laughs> All right, let's go so to So let Luke. me get us back. So, yes, please. Uh, so in uh, one of the other Gospels, uh, Luke chapter 1, we get the story of Jesus' birth. And there's really a lot here. So this, mm. the, um, the catechism focuses on verse 27, verse 31, and verse 42. But I'm going to read, starting at verse 26 to about uh, 42, and just because I think there's a lot there. Um, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, uh, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Mm. Now, really quick, before we get into the theology that's in this passage, I just want to tell a real quick story. Uh, One of these 
God-inspired things that I just had. So um, my grandfather um, was a Southern Baptist minister. Uh, so my mom, uh, daughter of a PK, married a Methodist preacher. <laughs> um, and every Christmas, uh, we would, uh, my mom had five other siblings and every Christmas we'd all get together before exchanging gifts. My grandfather would read this passage before we opened up gifts. And, and later on in life, he, he would read it from a different version. Of course, early on, it was always the King James, but then he, um, as he got older, he, and he began to read this passage of scripture, um, uh, from different versions of the, of the Bible. And so when he turned 80, we all had each, each family, each sibling family were responsible for getting him 80 something, um, 80 of something like, um, just as a, as a gift. And, uh, it was my bright idea to give 80 copies of this scripture verse. And they went from tiny, they went from tiny, tiny print to the smallest, to the largest print you could get being that he's 80 years old and he mm-hmm. needs, he's having trouble. So, anyway, so I've, I've, this scripture is for many of you who are listening, it's been a, a, a scripture you've heard all your life. Um, right. but, uh, every time I read it, I, I'm immediately transported back to, to mm. being with my, uh, grandfather and my mom's family. Um, and I'm always reminded of him. Uh, right. so anyways, um, but there's pretty, a lot in there. So yeah, that's pretty awesome. Just as a quick, a quick, we'll get into theology in a second, but it's pretty amazing how we can be shaped by the story of scripture, right? Like that story is a part of your I mean, the scripture is a part of your sure. life. Like it intersects sure. with your life, like a favorite song. You know how you listen to a song from when you, whenever in the yeah. past and you can connect a memory. It's, I think it's just beautiful that scripture does that same thing. Um, you know, you know, I have, my kids can quote, my kids can quote lines from their favorite shows because they read it all the time. Just like off the bat, something will happen and it'll spark a quote from the show. It's like they're living in that story. And so trying to instill the story um, of scripture into their lives so that the first reaction that we can have um our narratives and words and story of the scriptures is a pretty powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Well, just and here's strikes the, me. well, and here's the most interesting thing is that as a younger child, it felt like it took forever for my grandfather to get through this story because all I wanted to do was open up presents. Oh, right. Wow. You know, right? Right, right. Like in that, but th- well, we had to do this first before we opened up presents and, uh, and we just heard how, how short it, it takes to read that, that passage of scripture. But as a, as a child, it, man, it, it was like, come on, why do we have to read this every time? <laughs> do you still feel like that same antsiness while you're in the middle of reading it? Uh, um, no, no. Cause that would no. be great if you did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but I don't think about that anymore. I think about, um, I think about what it's saying. And, That's amazing. Um, I know that that's exam- amazing. The anxiety I have over that story is when I have to read it in the King James every Christmas Eve at the church service. <laughs> and just that's the one, you know, time of year other than maybe Psalm 23 at a funeral or something that I'm reading yeah. in the King James and sitting there going, all right, let's practice this. Let's practice this. Look. But even in that practice, 
in that beautiful language of the of the 1611 authorized version it's just uh uh it's beautiful beautiful you have to, get your, you have to do your tongue twisters because there's a lot of f's and and f and f's in there, there is he they were sore afraid why were they so sore anyway yeah. so but we've got um but in this passage we've got yeah. we've got the virgin mary yeah mm-hmm. we've got um being conceived by the power of the holy spirit right, right. um um I think of the line born, of, of born the, of, of born of Mary um, of the line of David on um, of the line of David right um so, so there's a lot here you've got the human element of the line of David but then you've got the supernatural element um that is uh or supranatural element I should say that is just a um a beautiful beautiful passage and reminder we're going to get more into the virgin birth stuff here in a minute cuz I I do have an important question that I want to ask about that yeah, but we'll, uh, sh- we'll share some thoughts but but real quick um I was just listening to uh, a fellow podcast I'll give a shout out um once I remember their name, um, but <laughs> they were talking, it was, a, it was an episode about uh, an academic study of the miracles in scripture. It was Craig Keener was the interviewee. Um, he's a professor at Asbury as well. Apparently we need to find some professors from some other places apparently. Um, but it just struck me reading it. Like that's a pretty miraculous situation right, right. here. Um, and so while we're talking about, you know, it helps us inform who Jesus is just thought it was worth a minute to pause and say, by the way, this is quite a miraculous situation. So um, in 20, uh, let's say 2017, I think it was, I had the opportunity to um, co-lead a group to Israel. Mm. And um, I remember it was my first time going too. So um, I remember kind of anticipating what the moments would be that would really get me. Right. I, I figured the um, church and the nativity or the holy sepulcher, or, you know, just whatever th- those kind of places would get me. But honestly, the place that got me was uh, the church and the nativity, but not the nativity, the church of the um, Annunciation. Annunciation in Nazareth. Um, and when you walk in, it, it's kind of this unassuming church. I mean, it just looks like a re- regular church, but it's built over, I guess, an old cistern or well or cave, something like that. It is. And as tradition says, where Mary was when uh, the angel came and visited her and told her, announced to her that this was happening, that the Holy Spirit would come upon her, um, was at the well and drawing water and doing what uh, she does there. And I remember sitting there or standing there and kind of in line going down and you get to see the the well through the bars and all that kind of stuff. And I remember just kind of, I started thinking 2000 years ago, if tradition is right and if what we believe is true and it, it, it is what I believe to be true, 2000 years ago at this spot, the veil was torn mm. between heaven and earth. And the more I just thought about that, like in this spot that I am standing in right at this moment, like 2,000 years ago, there was a holy, sacred, life-changing, world-changing moment that would take place right here, Mm. where the very just 
heaven and earth would meet together. And I, I it, that, that just washed over me in a powerful, powerful way. That's a powerful place. And you know what I'm going to say out loud to force us to consider it in the near future is a podokesis sponsored tour to Israel, where we invite listeners to come with us and we uh, we enjoy the scriptures in the Holy Land. But here's another yes. Here's a, so that reminds name me. it and claim it. Jim. Yeah. Name yeah. it yeah. and claim yes. it. It's called it's called name it so other people ask you about it. It's yes. called accountability. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so here's so. Uh, but who knows why we decided to stop on this passage so much? But uh, reading Spirit. through some early church uh, folks writing about the birth of Christ or the incarnation of Christ, one of the things to think about is so you remember in ancient Israel, you know Solomon builds the temple, they rebuild the temple, um, and there's a point in the prophets and through through the the history of the kingdoms of Israel where uh, it speaks as if God leaves the temple. Mm-hmm. And they're yearning for God to come back. And it's prophesied that God will once again dwell on mm-hmm. Zion in the temple. And then God sets himself up to dwell with Mary as the temple, as humanity is the right. temple of God. So right. that's a pretty powerful notion. Yeah. I and just... then to think, then to think the birth is powerful. We celebrate Christmas in the Protestant tradition, we don't celebrate very often. The Annunciation. It's not often. It might be nodded to on a liturgical Sunday, but it's not often lifted up. But but the con, the moment of the conception of Christ, God works the slow miracle that we don't see for mm-hmm. nine months. Yeah, but it, the miracle occurs yeah. at the Annunciation. What a yeah. powerful situation! It's so it was so awesome. I, th- I think about that from time to time. How God breaks through our our assumptions, if you will, of where we assume we're going to meet Him. Mm-hmm. And I was not, I mean, I remember just going, all right, it's a be- pretty church and we get to see the well where Mary was. And I'd, love, just, I'd love to, I'd love to take people there. Yeah, I would well, too. Uh, hashtag Potokesis in Israel. Yes. <laughs> hashtag Potokesis in Israel. So another little thing about this passage is uh, when Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. And so Elizabeth is, is um, set to give birth to John, John the Baptist. Um, and, before the annunciation to Mary, uh, the angel comes to Elizabeth, well, um, Zechariah and, and to Elizabeth and says to Elizabeth that the Holy Spirit will be on John, even in the womb. Mm-hmm. That's what earlier it says in, in chapter one. And then as Mary comes in to the door, um, the child leaps yeah. In, yeah. in her womb yeah. and causes Elizabeth to sh- to, to say in a loud voice, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you bear. So, um, you know, it's, you know, I don't know, John proclaims Jesus, Elizabeth proclaims, uh, Mary and Jesus. It's just, I don't know. The Holy spirit was working, um, in, in, in John in the womb through Elizabeth, through Mary, uh, uh, just yeah, yeah. Real cool. I, we won't we won't uh, belabor this point. There are some when we get to talk about why the virgin birth, we'll get to it. But um, maybe you guys haven't noticed this, but um, early on, as I was coming into faith, there was still a lot of remnants of very anti-Catholic Roman Catholic pushback mm-hmm. that just wanted to like read this passage, but mumble the word Mary and then move on real quick. <laughs> Y'all ever recognize yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Sometimes that still plays out. Um, and I just want to tell people that you don't have to have like 
a fully formed Roman Catholic theology of what's going on with Mary and immaculate conception and um, all of that. You don't have to have that to appreciate that something pretty amazing is happening right right here. You don't have to gloss over it. It's okay to study and figure out, I mean, Jesus had a mother and a father. It's kind of cool to pay attention to them. That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, uh, let me just and say John, this. And John uh, Wesley, uh, in his grave, shouts out, Jim's a papist. <laughs> <laughs> that is a deep cut Wesley and nerd joke. That, that really is a deep cut. And if you, yeah, if you've read it, you've got it. So anyway, so, um, <laughs> so um, Charles Moving Wesley on. in his great hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, has that line, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Um, so, just so beautiful. I think Wesley, Charles Wesley, had a way of capturing the fullness sometimes of the story of Scripture in just a few lines, and it's just beautiful and wonderful. Um, all right, we're going to look at Galatians 4 and then some passages out of Hebrews. Uh, so uh, Galatians 4, we read this last week, but just a reminder, uh, out of Galatians we see in verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. So uh, when the fullness of time. So two pieces here. This is speaking, of course, to uh, the virgin birth as well. But really, I think the crux of this verse and perhaps even what uh, Paul is getting at here is that Jesus came at the right time, Mm. at the right time. And it was time that was made right not by our standards, but what by what we thought, but by uh, what God had willed. And so, but when the fullness of time had come, um, Jesus would, or God would send forth his son to us. Well, and also like, you know, we go back to the other, to, to Hebrews that, that Jim read earlier, um, that um, just as the, since the children have flesh and blood, Christ took on flesh and blood. Right. Um, and the reason he did that is so that we could be adopted um, as sons and daughters, um, that we could be children of of God as well. Mm-hmm. So, right. Um, right, just a bunch of good stuff yeah. there. Hey, and, my my Bible study nerd alert is going off reading these two verses. So let me nerd let me alert. Give, nerd let me alert. give a little bit. Ooh, um, it's a new a new sound effect. Mm, nerd alert. Nerd <laughs> alert. Bible nerd. Bible nerd. Um, it's so it's not a technical chiasm. You should look up the word chiasm. C H A I. SM, I believe. Um, and but it is definitely repetitious. So there's structure in these two verses. I'm always looking for structure. So listen, God sent his son born under the law. Uh, so son born law, and then it's reversed, uh, son, so that we could be adopted to sonship. Christ was born so that we may be adopted. So there's the similarity there. And then it turns on born under the law to redeem those under the law. So you could set that up in a chart. It's that organized. The Bible yeah. is amazing. It is amazing. And Alan, I appreciate Jim's what always you... looking for a good chart. 
if you have a good chart, send to uh, Jim Morrow at man, anyway. I so, would like in I would like Podacumens for you to scour the internet for your favorite charts about anything. And I want you to post them to our page. Yes. <laughs> Make sure they're legal. Yes, that's true. And yes. clean. We need them to be clean. Yeah. So yes. no chargeable offenses, but yeah. otherwise. Keep it churchy. So, all right. So, um, no chargeable offenses. I'm sorry. It doesn't that doesn't have just, to be churchy. That, just, <laughs> that one got me. So anyway. Legal. Um, so uh, what was I going to... Oh, Alan. Yes. Yes. Uh, you, the here. way you had phrased that about adoption... To, into son and daughtership, into the family of God. You know, one of the things we need to think about kind of in our popular vernacular, especially in the church, I think words matter. I, I think, Jim, you've said that before, and I agree with you there on that. Um, you know, it's clear in the New Testament um, that uh, there is a differentiation between those who are called the children of God and then those who are part of the created order, as we all are, who are loved by God. But there is that sense when we start just kind of willy-nilly, just throwing out everybody, we're all just children of God. We, we I think, diminish the role of the, the grace-filled adoption that comes through salvation through Christ by faith, by His grace, all of this. And so I appreciate you, you saying that. I don't know if the potecumens out there picked up on that nuance, but it's an important nuance, especially in our day and time. All right, so we're going to look at Hebrews now. We're going to fin- we've started with Hebrews. We're going to end with Hebrews. So we're going to look at Hebrews four, um, and the, the scripture comes out of fifteen, verse fifteen. But we are going to start at verse fourteen with this. Uh, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive or may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Uh, so he's uh, the, the writer, I say he, we don't know actually who the writer is. Uh, the writer is saying that we, we have this high priest, this great high priest, who is Jesus. So he's using this Old Testament language, this uh, bodily language of the high priest, uh, but he, he kind of puts this idea that who passed through the heavens, who's more than just uh, what we would think of as a high priest, especially from the Old Testament days. Uh, this is something new. This is some, This is someone new. This is a different kind of reality that we can hold fast our confession. And I think that that confession that he's talking about there is this idea that Jesus is Lord, which is one of the most early uh, of the confessions of faith in the church. So, uh, for we do not have a high priest, this is the, the crucial part, I think, who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Uh, we've got a high priest who's able to understand everything we go through in, in body and in mind and soul and spirit or whatever, because he himself has been tempted in every way that we've been tempted. And I think that's an important piece to this because it's not, it, it shows that Jesus understands. Uh, I think the word they use is sympathize. Sympathize, um, in the ESV version anyway, sympathizes with us, is able to, it knows the hurt and the pain um, that we go through um, and the struggles we go through. And even though he was perfect, did not give in to temptation, he knew the temptation that um, we have. Yeah, I think, um, well, because our answer sort of gives this long um, explanation, long answer, and then at the end, yet 
yet without right. sin yet <laughs> and um right um but that's a that's a big three three letter phrase um yes. and uh um Yeah. yeah. I'd also like to remind us that that yet without sin, let's harken back to some of our previous episodes. It's yeah. not only talking about the fact that Jesus did not perform acts of sin right. or entertain sinful thoughts. Right. It's that through his birth, he was born without original sin. His right. flesh was born without corruption. Right. And if you were to really drill down and think about, meditate on what it means for Jesus to be incarnate, for the Son of God to be incarnate, that uh, incorruptible flesh actually makes a lot of difference to how redemption works. Right. It's a huge factor. In fact, it's a part of uh, why the virgin birth is such an important part of our theology. So if you remember back uh, for a number of episodes, we talked about sin and sins have a slight difference. So sin right. is the condition with which we are in where our human nature is corrupted. In fact, our flesh is corrupted and sins are the behaviors and inclinations that are born out of that. So Jesus is not only that he is exactly like us yet didn't give in, that is true, but he is also exactly as we were intended to be created the same way uh, flesh as we were created, incorrupted and flawless. Mm. I, I think that's fantastic. Uh, th that's absolutely true. Um, Jesus is the image of who we were created to be, in a sense, uh, and uh, you know that incorruptibility. That 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 um, yes, absolutely. In fact, can I just say this? So there's this great little, very accessible resource that I want to lift up to you by uh, Dr. Timothy Tennant, the president of Asbury Seminary. It's called This We Believe, and it's really kind of meditations upon uh, the 12... Um, the, the 12 stanzas or, or um, uh, within the Apostles' Creed, um, the 12 belief statements within uh, the Apostles' Creed. And when he gets to talking about the virgin birth, this is what he says, just kind of backing up what Jim just said. Um, this is from the book. I like the, that Tim Tennant's backing me up and not the other way around. Thanks, or, Tim Tennant, for the support. Yeah, you're well. You, there, you, you know, you're, he, this is the authoritative support for your argument here. Um, so, uh, the answer uh, he's talking about the virgin birth and the conceived by the Holy Spirit. Like, why are these important? And he would say the answer is rooted in the necessity that Jesus be without sin. According to Scripture, there are two ways in which we are declared sinners. First, we are declared sinners quite obviously because we have all committed sinful acts through our thoughts, word, words, and deeds. Um, we have sinned through, uh, through what we have done and what we have left undone. However, second, we are also declared sinners because we inherit the guilt of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. And so uh, it is important then for Jesus to be different to to have a um to be without sin not only in what he does but in his nature as well right and if you think about redemption um one of the factors you want to bring out is that we were created in the image of god and who else would be better to restore the image of god within humanity than for god jesus who is called in Colossians, the image of the invisible it's God, right, right. to then re-imprint himself by becoming human. Right, absolutely. Now, that's an argument from the ancient church by a gentleman named Athanasius. Yes, absolutely.
And I think it's a very good argument. In fact, Athanasius would be very influential on John Wesley uh, later on. That book on the incarnation. So um, uh, Jim is uh, referencing Athanasius on the incarnation. And uh, that book was very, very influential to Wesley himself. Man, I picked um, that book up because the guy has a cool name and it turned out to be a good book. It's a great <laughs> book, a great book. Um, okay, and the last scripture is out of Hebrews 7, and this is verse starting at verse 26. Uh, For it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need... Uh, he has no need, like those of high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once and for all, he offered himself up for us. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Summing up, I think this is the Hebrews way of summing up, or, or I should say the catechism sums up this with that last bit, yet without sin. Um, Jesus without sin. I love sure. Hebrews. Hebrews yeah. um, calls Jesus both the high priest and the sacrifice. Yeah, right. Um, right. That, yeah, exactly um, right. I mean, he 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 takes care of it all, um, and once for all. Um, and um, yeah, just got through reading through Hebrews, and uh, it's really some Hebrews is so stuff. interesting. It's good. Um, Paul didn't write it. We know that just by the language that is used, but we we have no clue. Uh, there's theories out there, but we have no clue. There's an author in history who's who may never be known this side of heaven who gave us um, what some scholars call the fifth gospel because of how mm. much Jesus is is promoted within that letter or that sermon. Really, it's a sermon. All right, so. Let's. Uh, there's a lot we want to talk about here, kind of in deep dive. But since we spent some time on it, let's go back to the virgin birth, because I do think that is an important piece to this. And so my question I have is this: Is it possible to be a Christian and not affirm the virgin birth? Boom. Bring the controversial question. Yeah. Is it possible? Now, the reason I bring this question up is because other than Jesus, there are only two names in the creeds. Right. Right. One is the guy who would seal his fate, put him on the cross. Pontius that would Pilate. be Pontius Pilate. Pontius yes. Pilate. The other would be his mom. And it's interesting. She doesn't really have that kind of descriptor of, and his mom, Mary. It is um, the Virgin Mary, born of the Virgin Mary. And so that becomes a big, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, becomes a creedal affirmation that is there for much of, and when I say much, like 90% all. of our, all of our history, really. But it's in a creedal form. Right, you know the 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 apostle. Now the the Nicene Creed is formulated in three twenty five A.D. Later. But the Apostles' Creed, which became official much later, even later than the Nicene Creed, was around even since perhaps the uh, mid second going into the early third century as what was known as a Roman symbol, um, the a Roman uh, baptismal covenant or uh, baptismal uh, teaching that was used before converts were baptized. But so the main argument is that all the people before us were were not smart enough to understand that this kind of thing can't really happen. 
Mm-hmm. And now that we understand everything right. because of our uh, science and medicine, we understand that virgins can't conceive and give birth. So it's just ludicrous, right? This is the, this right. is part of the argument. Um, now I would say that uh, affirming uh, the resurrection of the dead is similarly miraculous. Right. Um, but you even go down to far as the quotation in Isaiah um, where it says the virgin shall conceive. Yeah. Um, you can see in, in Hebrew scholarship, um, and I can't remember the word off the top of my head, but it, it, in some places it may be more often translated lately as a young woman. Yeah. Um, because of the way that Hebrew words work or any foreign language, it's rare that one word directly correlates to another. So the Hebrew word has a family of meanings and maybe based on some evidence found in the Dead Sea Scrolls or maybe some scholarship. Uh, people are saying, well, maybe it never was the virgin birth. Uh, maybe it was always a young woman shall conceive. Um, but there's still, I think there's still debate about that in the scholarly circles. But you can see even down to the fact that biblical translation is wrestling with the prophet Isaiah's conversation about it. Uh, it's a big conversation because it's quite frankly, it's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? It is. Um, I remember in, I- in a logical this is this world is my frame of mind way enlightenment uh you know uh a, a, a society that comes out of the enlightenment period absolutely in fact i was listening to a podcast uh the um uh the i think it's called uh the spirit and truth podcast but with david watson yeah. and uh holy spirit uh, pod yeah. yeah yeah and uh and scott kisker is one of the um co-host of that. And he uh, said a statement, this was back in like 2018, I think in an episode I was listening to just recently on um, deliverance ministries, Holy Spirit movements, that kind of thing. And he said, when are we in the church going to say, going to stand up and say, perhaps the enlightenment didn't have it all right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, man, that's about wrecked the car when he said that, yeah. because I was like, oh my gosh, that was just amazing. Because that you know, as much as we have gained in knowledge and investments as societies due to the Enlightenment, uh, it, it's it's not the answer for everything. Yeah. And just because it doesn't fit into our neat little worldview doesn't necessi- doesn't mean it's not true. And um, you know, Christians who were closer to the event than we are now were affirming. The virgin birth. And that's not the kind of tale, for example, right. that will last and catch on in a worldwide movement. This is one of the moves that historians make when they when they talk about the veracity of even the resurrection. They talk about, is this a true kind of thing? One of the things that historians pick up on as a, as a matter of proof is this is this is not the kind of story that is that continues and spreads widely if it is not in fact true. So, so what I'm, when I, when I was mentioning the biblical work, um, what I'm mentioning is the reaction against, right? So the question that you, which is not one I share by the way, but um, the question you have is, can you be a Christian and not affirm the virgin birth? Right. So Alan Kaysen, give us the answer. You give us the answer every week on, on the, on the, uh, catechesis. Well, here's, here's what I would say. I would say that the Lord gets to assess with you the state of your soul. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. I will say that, for example, when I became a Christian, uh, assenting to the virgin birth was not at the very forefront of my mind. And I will say, if you do not hold the belief of the virgin birth, the tenant of the virgin birth, then you are, however, outside of the boundaries of Christianity as it has been handed down from the apostles forward, right? from the scriptures forward. Yeah. So that's to say, I don't know that it's necessarily our role to assume the state of an individual person's soul, but I'm very comfortable saying that, that holding to the doctrine of the virgin birth is essential for the Christian faith. Because what is it? What does it require to be saved? Paul says that you uh, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I'm not going to get in the way of getting in the middle of all of that, but I think that for faithful transmission of the Christian faith and formation in the Christian faith, yeah, that it is important that we transmit and bring forward the Christian faith as handed to us from the Scriptures and the Apostles forward. That's perhaps, my answer. Perhaps the the belief. The holding on to the virgin birth, the doctrine of the virgin birth is more of a sanctification piece. As you learn, you grow, you hold to these truths, you worship, you, you, this, it, it forms you as a community, as a person, because you're right, it, it, this is not necessarily a salvation issue as much as it is a growing discipleship issue, perhaps. Because you're, I mean, Paul says in Romans 10, right? The, you, Confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say anything in there about, oh, oh, by the way, and also believe is born of the virgin. But the, the virgin birth becomes, you know what it becomes? It becomes a, a part of the framework of our belief system. Well, and quite frankly, uh, it, the, it, it is smarter and more logically sound than one would think. Um, the Christian faith in many ways does hinge on the virgin birth, which I think we could talk about in a second. But Paul may not have said that you have to believe in the virgin birth, but Paul and uh, John, for example, will often say um, that you hang on to the testimony with which we pass down to, that we pass down to you. Mm -hmm. um, and that testimony, as he speaks to people in the church like Timothy or the readers of 1 John, is going to be a testimony that includes the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right, 100%. So, yeah, it's, so, so what we got to remember is that to be justified and call in the name of Jesus, but it's going to also involve the community of faith coming around and forming us. Salvation is not the simple moment of assenting to Jesus uh, after my repentance of sin, but is also the full measure and journey of our becoming holy. So isn't the virgin bird necessary for Christ's incorruptible nature to take place? I mean, to, to be there in the first place? Am, am that I was missing the anything? That was the argument that Tennant was making. In yes. His, okay. His, so, yeah. um, so to and be without agree. sin, the virgin birth is necessary. Um, and Christ, in order to be our redemption, our sacrifice, needed to be perfect, correct? Without yes. blemish? Right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, right. That's the only way that he can pay the penalty for our sin. Right. Um, I think, I mean, you know, so I think it is a necessary 
belief that 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 Christians should have. Um, now, in order to become uh, become a Christ follower, is that necessary first? No. But I think as we've been talking about on the way to sanctification, on the way to growth and maturity, it is a foundational belief that we need to all come to an understanding. Yes, um, because ultimately what's going to happen is as your understanding of Jesus grows, as the further outside of the bounds of Christianity, Orthodox Christianity you get, the different your Jesus becomes. Mm-hmm. So at some point, you're going to have, you could easily step, and, and I know this is a slippery slope argument, but let me just show you the, the logical steps you could take from Jesus was not born of a virgin, therefore Jesus may not have been fully divine, but chosen afterwards, therefore all humanity is divine. Um, you know, there's so many steps that could be taken that, you know, over the course of years, one assumption builds on top of another assumption, and all of a sudden you have a tower of Babel of felonious thinking, and the Jesus that sits on top of it is nothing like the Jesus of Scripture. Right. And that could happen with any belief. That's why we hold, we don't hold the fence of uh, the tradition of the church for the sake of preventing people from doing what they want to do or being mean. We do it as guide rails along the highway towards the Father so that we can help you, we help each other uh, to understand who God is and not end up with some idol of who God or Christ is. You know, or you think about this, you you take that brick out of the building. you know, then it's easier to take another brick out of the building and suddenly you just, the whole house falls in and you, I mean, the, the Jesus that the G the Jesus that you're following is not the historical scriptural Jesus. Right. That's right. Um, uh, but yet you use the same name. Right. <laughs> um, and so another, so. another thing is like the part of the reason the virgin birth is often kind of put aside in my estimation has to do with the miraculous nature of it, that it seems like something that unenlightened people would believe that without an understanding of what it's about, it it seems to be just like, well, I don't want to believe something outlandish. So then do we just, do we just remove all the, all the miracles? I mean, no, no, because we just pick and choose the miracles that seem, um, more logical, which yeah. is silly because miracles aren't logical. Right. I've, so got, two I, thi- I, I've yeah. got two things on that. One is the posture of a Christian. I would love to like, this is what I would counsel somebody who is in my church or in my own family. I don't, if you don't get that, sit with that. Mm-hmm. If you, if it's scriptural, you know, if, it, if you, for example, Bible verse, you don't understand or a doctrine of the faith, you don't understand. If you don't understand it, sit with it. Don't discard it. Sit with it. It's like my 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 uh, folks used to buy clothes for me uh, that were too big, so I'd grow into them for next year. This doesn't fit me now. Just sit with it. It will someday. Right. Now, the other thing I will say is that the virgin birth is much more intellectually robust than you could than you would initially think. For the one reason we just talked about, the incorruptibility of Christ. Uh, another factor is let's assume that God created something that He saw was very good, namely a human humanity, and God wanted to recreate something that was very good, namely humanity. Trace this argument with me, okay? How did God create humanity? Out of nothing. Right. Out of the dust of the earth. Right. Out of the breath of his own spirit, okay? So God, out of nothing, takes the virgin soil, 
the untilled soil who had not born that had not born any fruitfulness yet and by his spirit brought life into humankind now god out of nothing takes the virgin soil of a virgin womb breathes in his spirit and out comes once again perfect humanity do you, did y'all follow that argument? Mm-hmm. I'm Absolutely. With you. Yeah. I'm with Athanasius you. again in modern English. Yeah. 100%. So there's so much, there's so much between the fact that what else can restore the image of God in humanity other than the image of God? Uh, the cre- recreation out of nothing and the incorruptible nation, nature of Christ. Those are three highly logical, highly complex intellectual moves that say the virgin birth is not only miraculous, but it is a miracle that not just touches our heart and our amazement, but touches our mind as well. And, and it's not as it's not as void intellectually as people would maybe originally think. Right. Um, people who complain that it is intellectually void or have trouble with it, it's because it doesn't fit into a paradigm that they've created, which is idolatrous in a way. Yeah, I'd really love to talk to somebody. I haven't had a lot of conversation. I've had a lot of conversation with people who don't uh, ascribe to the virgin birth, but not particularly about why. I'd love to do that. You know what? Maybe if some of y'all have some folks, I'd love to to hear a little bit about yeah. what the what the arguments are there. Um, partly because when we talk about um, debating items, I like to make as strong an argument about the other other view as I can, so mm-hmm. that I can thoroughly understand it. You know, uh, this is where the creeds are so important. The historic creeds are so important to the church. The ecumenical creed, what we call the ecumenical creeds, are so important to the church even today, thousands of years later. Um, Jim used the the analogy of guardrails on the the road. Um, my, my professor of United Methodist Theology at Asbury, Steve Siemens, uh, talked about theology, Orthodox theology, as being. Um, he said. Pretend like you bought a house um, near a uh, an interstate, and right outside your backyard, like on the other side of your your border of your yard, is a the interstate. Like it's just a drop off right into the road. He said your real estate agent was the worst in the world, and you just bought it hook, line, and sinker. But you've got this fence around your yard. So he said Christian belief is like being in that fence. You can push the boundaries. You can get on top of the boundaries and look over. But the moment you go over the boundary, you're in danger. You're in danger. And that's where Christian belief or Christian dogmatics um, through the creeds, those creedal affirmations become important fences that we can play in, we can explore in, we can think in. But if we go beyond that, we're in a different dangerous land that is is problematic. Um, so, and I appreciated him saying that that actually has helped me throughout my, my ministry in explaining why these things are, are important. Um, I also personally, when I talk to my church about this, I like to talk about the difference between closed handed beliefs and, uh, open handed beliefs, open handed beliefs are those beliefs that can come or go, right. Uh, whether baptism should be done through sprinkling or immersion or all three or, you know, three versions or, or um, whatever, those tend to be more tradition-based, tradition like your denominational or, or whatever. And so I can have an open-handed conversation with you about that. But when you start talking about issues of the resurrection, the virgin birth, the forgiveness of sins, these type of things, 
those, those, you got to hold, those are things that are close handed that I'm not willing to really compromise on because they are so essential to who we are as Christians. And so, um, all right. So, uh, man, we have, we really just kind of, uh, done some pretty good work here. I think so much to this, uh, I think we've hit, um, all the nails on the head, at least for what we wanted to talk about, about Jesus's, uh, birth and why he came or how he came. Um, so let's talk up a little bit about what we're doing next. Um, so Jim, came at me after our last episode because I said we had a couple of episodes until we get to episode 20. And he was like, but aren't we already on episode 20? And then after our episode that we got done after that episode, he was like, no, we've done like a lot of these. I'm sure we're there, um, which is which is right. Uh, but we've had a couple, three special episodes that I was not counting in my count. I was counting the <sighs> official catechism episodes. That's See, like saying, Jim, Jim had a chart and in his chart, <laughs> we had already reached episode 20. So yes. this is episode 21. I told Brett, if I had to listen to his voice for an hour, it counted as an episode. <laughs> Brett saying the special episodes don't count. is like having 23 pieces of chocolate. Two, three of them are white chocolate and saying, I only have 20 pieces of candy. No, they're all candy. <laughs> We can celebrate our 22nd episode if you'd like to as a special milestone. But when you call it the 20th episode, I'm just going to pull out my sound effect button that says wrong, wrong, wrong. The 20th episode of the official catechesis piece to this um, is coming up next, which means perhaps we're going to 20. So 20 to 23 episodes. I mean, we've done this for a while now, guys. Let's celebrate yes. 2023 episodes. 2023 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> that's always and, a momentous occasion. So <laughs> whenever you get 2023 something, that's a big deal. It is a big yes. deal. So um, uh, we we are going to be talking about ways we can celebrate uh, this new milestone. We did it with 10 episodes. Now we're looking at doing this uh, next. And so uh, be looking out for some special announcements about that. And I know I'm excited. And Jim and Alan, I'm ex- I mean, 20 episode Three. i mean we i mean 23. i cannot believe that i have put up with you guys this long it's been unbelievable and honestly i want to thank our podocumen community um, y'all are the ones who spur us on yeah jim and alan and i we we always say that even if we were the only three doing this and listening to this this is good for us we're all friends we're close and this is good kind of we get to talk about things we're better preachers and ministers because i've noticed a difference sure. in, um what did you say? Questionably, but sure. <laughs> okay. Well, I feel like I'm better because of, <laughs> of these two. Um, and so, uh, and but we are so thankful for you guys who are out there and we want to hear from you. Yes. So be sure to check us out on our social media at Podakesis, at Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or questions at Podakesis.com or voicemail 404-635-6679. Now, in the next episode, we're going to come together. We're going to be dealing with two questions. And actually, one question sets up the other question. And um, this is going to be dealing with the official offices of Christ. And so this is questions 23 and 24 of the Wesley's Revision of the Westminster Catechism. And it is, what offices does Christ execute as our Redeemer? And the 24th question, how does Christ execute the office 
of a profit. So we know that at least one office he executes is that of prophet. Um, and then we'll be following that up with a priest and king in further episodes. So we're going to be setting that up, talking about what it means for Jesus to be a prophet and what that looks like. And we look forward to coming with you once again. Again, leave your comments with us um, at our um, social media online at our, uh, uh, our uh, what was I going to say? Our email address. That's what I was yeah. at our email address and voicemail number. And remember our devotional podcast, the Daily Psalms podcast. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcast. Tell your friends, tell your family all about the Podakesis podcast. I'm Brett Maddox. That's Jim Morrow. That's Alan Kaysen. I'm pointing to him, but this is a podcast, and you can't see who I'm pointing to, or you can't see their faces. But trust me, they're there. They're right there. And we're going to see y'all. Well, we won't see y'all, and y'all won't see us, but you'll hear us next time on the Podakesis Podcast. Y'all have a great one. Hashtag Podakesis in Israel, and don't forget to send me your charts. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.